Three Trips Ahead is brought to you by redtag.ca. Plan your perfect winter trip today. Have you ever traveled alone? I mean, extensively alone. I did it once, many years ago, when I went backpacking around Europe. My traveling companion, my girlfriend, had to go home early. I can't recall if it was for a job or for a man, probably both. But I was left to soldier on by myself for almost two months in the winter, mostly in countries where I didn't speak a word of the local language. At first, it was daunting, but I got used to it, and I did meet a lot of people. A bunch of evangelical Christian girls in Salzburg, an actual glassblower in Murano, a house full of American and British soldiers on leave in Amsterdam. It was scary at times, lonely at others, but it was also really empowering and deeply reassuring that a that a 22-year-old woman, that would be me, could wander around Europe without a cell phone or a credit card, remember this was a long time ago, and not encounter any real unpleasantness would I do it again? Absolutely not. But Jada Yuan did. In fact, Jada did it up in style. She beat out over 13,000 applicants to become a traveler for the New York Times, venturing to each of the cities on the paper's 52 places to go in 2018. It sounds like a dream job, right? Except she had to do it in 52 weeks and she had to do it alone. Hi, I'm Maureen Holloway. Welcome to Three Trips Ahead. Solo travel is a growing trend right now, especially among young women. And Jada joins us to tell us how to stay safe and secure while experiencing the world. All right, let's get started. You beat out 13,000 people who applied. Why, what, well, first of all, why did you apply? And the second of all, why were you chosen? Well, the, the second part of the question, I don't actually know. I never asked the question um, <laughs> because I just didn't really want to know the answer. Um, but I applied because I love traveling and I have been working full time for 17 years. But it's since I graduated college you know, financially couldn't just go traveling. And it, I, I don't even think I was brave enough to think that there was some way to travel when you don't have money. Like, I don't know how people do that. <laughs> and I don't know how people do it in their 20s. Um, and so I just went straight into the workforce and I worked for New York Magazine, this incredible publication for many, many years. Um, and for me, um, I was doing well if I had enough money to pay my rent and then go on trips. Um, and the trips were centered around when I had vacation time um, or when there was a holiday. And oftentimes they were going back to see my family. And so I just never did this around the world thing. I never did a trip in my working years longer than six weeks that also didn't involve work. For me also, um, I'm a journalist and I've worked really hard to be a journalist. and part of what I thought you had to do if you were going to take a trip around the world is like be really dissatisfied with your job and quit it and then go traveling around the world. And, um, and I loved my job and this was an opportunity for me not to have to quit being a journalist. It was actually a chance to increase all the skills that I'd been working on and, and learn new ones like photography and videography and um, becoming a multimedia storyteller. So it sounded great. 
And, um, and I, you know, I'd been working at the same job for 17 years and I, I wanted a chance to branch out into something different. So I applied, um, never, ever thinking I would get it. By the, by the time I applied, some 3,500 people to 8,000 people had already applied for the job. Um, so I already knew what the odds were. Um, I think like a lot of people, I was doing it, um, like as a why not kind of thing. Let me ask you about the logistics, if you don't mind. Did they, they had an itinerary and a budget? Because, I mean, I think a lot of people thought, oh, it's a trip around the world. How fabulous, how glamorous. <laughs> but in fact, it was a little more restricted that, or restrictive than that, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, well, they, they had an itinerary because I had to somehow get to 52 places in 12 months, and really it ended up being 11 months. Um, so that was about four to seven days in any given place. Really, with I had one true break, which was for my 40th birthday party, which I had <laughs> planned because I didn't think I was getting this job. So, <laughs> um, so I had a 40th birthday party, and the rest of the time I was on the road. Did you so, have to? Did you have to book your accommodations? Did you have to fi- do all that legwork? And all that organization ahead of time yourself or was it done for you or a combination of both? It was a little bit of a combination of both, but it was mainly me booking. Um, I had a researcher, a part-time researcher in New York who would give suggestions. And sometimes I would be on it enough to, to jump on his suggestions as soon as he gave them to me. And then sometimes I just didn't have the time. And so those suggestions would become obsolete. Or maybe you miss that train and you have to jump on the next one um, because things change on the ground. You think that you know the best route in and out of a place and then someone you're talking to in a line actually has a much better solution for where you're supposed to be going. And for me, it was more stressful being locked in financially to something that I couldn't change that wasn't, that wasn't the ideal way to get in and out of a place. Was your budget restrictive or generous or, I mean, for people who might want to follow in your footsteps, and and we'll get into more of the details later, but I'm kind of curious as to what kind of budget the (laughs) Times gave you. Because somebody could say, oh, yeah, you know, if money was no object, you can, it makes it that much easier. Yeah, well, I wasn't staying in hostels. And that, it's not that I don't like hostels, it's just that I had a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. And I I couldn't be in a communal living environment. but so I wasn't staying in hostels and I wasn't staying in luxury hotels except for a few times when that had been the reason why a place was on the 52 places list. Mm-hmm. And even then I would stay for one night in a luxury hotel. Like I did not like do a five night stay at some, you know, villa that cost a thousand dollars. I traveled as if I were traveling with my own money. Uh, I would say like $150 for a hotel room. Okay, that's reasonable. When you were traveling between countries and the currencies were changing, how did you manage your money? Um, well, I think having a credit card, first of all, if you're gonna if you're gonna embark on a really huge trip like this, you should you should have enough savings to get you through the first few months at least. Um, and I would say you probably need to have about thirty thousand dollars <laughs> in your bank account yep. before you before you take a trip like this. Um, you should also have a credit card with a big limit on yeah. it. Yeah, big um, as possible. <laughs> as big as possible. I started out with a, I, 
I had some credit card problems at the beginning. It was just some, some stupid technical things. Um, but I had a credit card with a $7,000 limit and I was constantly having to getting denied at like car rental agencies and having to, um, pay out of my bank account, like my entire bill and then start over again. Um, a lot of car rental agencies, especially in South America require huge deposits, mm -hmm. like $1,500 deposits. Um, I have a Chase Sapphire Reserve with a $27,000 limit on it, and that's important. Um, it's a fee card, but the fees um, sort of pay for themselves. Mm -hmm. You want a credit card with no foreign transaction fees um, so that you're not constantly paying extra upon, for every charge that you're doing. Um, you want a bank account that also pays for your ATM fees because fees can be you know, $10, $15 every time you take something out of the bank and you don't, you don't want that. Um, you also don't want to walk around with a lot of cash. So you do kind of have to hit those machines up more often. So the fees yeah. would certainly stack up. Yeah, I, I did walk around with a decent amount of cash. I would go to the ATM and probably get 200 out um, at every destination. When just, I, I would just go immediately at the airport um, airports almost always have ATMs. Mm -hmm. So um, airports and, tra and, and train stations. Train stations often have them. Train stations are just sketchier for walking out with money. Airports are, are not so hard. Um, yeah, and then and I, I think you have to have some USD stash somewhere. USD and euros, um, depending on where you're going, um, have it stashed somewhere in your luggage in a secret compartment so that if you run into any problems, you'll have cash. Operating for almost 15 years, redtag.ca is the place to go when you're looking to book travel. They give Canadians access to a wide range of travel products with leading tour operators, airlines, hotels, car rentals, cruises, and activities. From last-minute getaways where you can save up to 50% to trips planned out months in advance using their lowest price calendar, redtag.ca has the insight and expert knowledge to give travelers the best prices available. Plus, redtag.ca is partnered with Air Miles. Air Miles collectors are able to earn miles when booking a vacation package through redtag.ca, rewarding travelers to help them get to their next vacation sooner. Whether you prefer booking online at redtag.ca or calling one of their travel professionals, redtag.ca is there to help with all of your travel needs. Redtag.ca experts know what travelers need for their vacations and will help ensure you have all the proper documents and information to make your trip as seamless as possible and cover you while in destination. Redtag.ca combines great people with technology to ensure each customer experience exceeds your expectation. Visit redtag.ca or call 1-866-5-RED-TAG to plan your perfect trip. Were you, uh, so what were your fears going in and were those fears, fears and worries and concerns and, and to what extent were they realized? I mean, my, probably my biggest fear was getting sick. Um, more than more than anything else, just because it's happened to me a lot when I've traveled, and I have traveled before this in West Africa and East Africa and Afghanistan, and I got sick in all of those places, along with South America and Mexico. Sick, 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 and it really 
um, is debilitating and it takes you out of your vacation and it's unpleasant. And um, I didn't, there was no wiggle room in the schedule for me to, to be taking any of that time out. Um, I definitely was worried safety-wise and I didn't find myself walking down dark alleys. I was, I was smart. I sort of, I'm aware. I'm aware of my surroundings as a woman living in the world and a woman who's lived in a city for as long as I have. Uh, I'm just aware of what's going on around me all at all times. And it's, I mean, it's an unfortunate side effect. So I was careful not to put myself in situations where I wouldn't feel safe. So I didn't really drink much. I didn't go out at night by myself too much unless it was sort of like going out to dinner, um, but I didn't go out to nightclubs uh, by myself. And um, m for the most part, it was fine. It, the, the, I think the scariest parts were, I had a Verizon international plan and it just like didn't work when I needed it to. And so I would arrive in airports and sometimes I'd be arriving after midnight and I would have to find a SIM card um, and find my way out of this place, sort of not knowing the taxi customs, um, not knowing, uh, you know, not being able to call an, all, a ride share, um, not being able to call the hotel, those sorts of things. Like that was, that was really probably the scariest part for me. So you're saying transportation hubs were particularly challenging, like arriving, as they are for anybody. You arrive at an airport or a train station, you don't speak the language, you don't know where you are, you're exhausted, you're discombobulated. Did you have any particular strategies to help you, you know, navigate those situations? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the research that I asked um, Justin, my researcher, to do, I sort of halfway through, I came up with a list of things that I needed to know from him, and and among them were were things like how do I get from the airport to the lodging, um, how what are the tipping customs here, what does a taxi typically cost, just all those things that are just little things. You like, you want to arrive and. And maybe you can't, maybe your phone isn't working, you can't order a rideshare. Um, maybe you don't have a subway way or a bus way to get somewhere and you want to take a taxi and you just want to know that you're not going to get scammed um, on the way there. And it happens. I got scammed in Prague, for instance. Of all places. Um, <laughs> of all places, right? Yeah. Prague, I would say Prague and Bogota were probably the two places I, I think I got taxi scammed. Huh. Um, and, and then there are actually legit taxi scams in a place like La Paz, Bolivia, where taxis that aren't quite the right kind of taxi will, um, will take tourists to ATMs and make them take out all their money or, or hijack their luggage. Um, so you just want to know what what you're dealing with when you when you come into a place like what's the worst case scenario I think and and then the other the other thing is that you, you know because I was having so many problems with connectivity um, figure out ways to get around that so download everything that you need to know have your maps offline there's um, Google Maps does offline maps and so does this um, application called maps.me so you can do things like that. I like, I like doing a little bit of research before I go to a place and then starring a Google map. So I know that when I arrive at a hotel at 11.15 p.m. that there is a diner three blocks away mm -hmm. that's open till one and I can get some food. 
or, <laughs> or that, um, you know, I have a destination of this church that I really want to see and photograph. And when I get done with that church, because I've started this map, I know that there is um, that burger joint that I really wanted to check out, and it's only a 10-minute walk away from there. Yeah, that kind of thing. I think have is really a destination. Helpful. Know where you're going. Look like you know where you're going. What about accommodation, yeah. Jada? Like, what works best for solo travelers? Did you like my Airbnb hostels, or you know, even to the point where do you prefer an upper floor? Or what are the things that you look for as a solo traveler in terms of uh, where you're going to be put up? Well, for me, I, again, I said I I actually like hostels. I do I don't mind them, but. Um, it, they become problematic if you're carrying around expensive camera gear um, or if you're trying to get work done. I like the hostels that are kind of like capsule hotels where you can have a blackout curtain by your bed and you have a locker where you can put your things. Um, I, did, I did meet people who were staying in hostels who had these pack safe backpacks, which are slash proof. And then they would lock that backpack and then they would lock that backpack to their bed. Um, yeah. that's a whole, that's a whole process. Um, I like a boutique hotel. You can find a lot within a decent price range. And, um, for me, because I was living in hotels for an entire year, I, I just wanted something with character, um, that didn't, I, I would have just gone crazy if I was staying in Marriott's the whole time or what, you know, Best Westerns or Holiday Inns. They don't give you a feel of the place. I, I want a hotel to feel like when I have to stay in and I'm working, I'm not missing the place that I'm in. And that it's, it's hard to find, but, but actually we, we found a lot that, that felt like that. Um, I am not a fan of Airbnbs unless you're staying for a long period. As a, as a solo female traveler, I just think that you wanna be able to get in and get out of, of a place relatively easily. So again, if you're arriving and it's late at night, I don't want to have to go pick up my key from a lockbox attached to a fence down an alley, which is what I had to do in Glasgow. And, you know, there's a guy sort of lurking near me and I'm watching my luggage and trying to figure it out. I don't want to have to, you know, have a midnight flight and um, have to check out at 10 a.m. And just be dragging my suitcases around because there's because it's actually illegal to be Airbnb in your building, so I can't leave my bags with you. And I don't like the idea that that like a lot of these places you never meet a person, so you're not really checking in. No one knows that you're coming in and out. I just like a hotel. I like a, I like a front desk. If it's not a hotel, I like a hostel. What about uh, what about eating alone? Did that bother <laughs> you? Did you get used to it or? How, how, because that's a big thing. A lot of people just don't want to be seen in public by themselves. And that's a real phobia for people. Well, if I did eat alone, I would never eat. So <laughs> 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 it would just been like terrible. Um. So you just had to. You got used to it, I guess. Yeah, we know what the, the bottom line, the question is, were you lonely? Um, not often. It's a, because my job was so all-consuming, and a lot of the job was being on social media. And I am not one of these people who thinks that social media is just like an end-all evil. Um, I, you know, I had a lot of companionship. So when I was out dining alone, I was often responding to Instagram messages and sort of categorizing really good advice that people were giving me about the place that I was in. 
Um, or I was posting things to Instagram and Twitter and um, using that time as sort of as, as work time that I, I didn't need to concentrate incredibly hard. Like when, I, when I was writing, I, I was alone um, in a hotel room sort of losing my mind but when I was <laughs> but when I was on when I was eating alone I was either doing that or or often I would meet some really great people I, sushi bars in Japan were just so much fun I had the greatest time in the couple of sushi bars I went to in Japan just like a family who wanted to talk to me about like teaching me all about these about the fish I was eating and telling me about their lives and um, we're Facebook friends now or um, you know I had a I had a time at a sushi bar where it was just me and the chef and he was 80 years old and it was just it was fantastic um, so you can I I don't think that that dining alone is is necessary to, is a bad thing I, I think you meet lots of people I, generally I think that traveling alone doesn't mean you're alone. It just means you're kind of open to new experiences. I agree. I agree from the time that I did travel alone. I still do occasionally. I meet more people. You just do. When, where did you go? Oh, well, I backpacked around Europe for two months um, years ago. But I mean, I still find myself on trips. I go on trips with my husband. He leaves before I do. I have more vacation time. And uh, I just find that even sitting on a train by yourself, you know, people are more likely to talk to you than they are if you've got some if you've got a companion. As long as you're not, yeah. you know, knee deep in or nose deep in your phone. But that's that's another thing entirely. I I mean, I've noticed a difference. So I've just been in New York for the past couple of weeks and yesterday walking down the street, I was like I smiled and made eye contact with maybe ten different people and I was like, What is happening? This is not the New York that I know. But I think that Maybe there's something about me, like I'm looking, I'm not on my phone, I'm looking up more, I'm emanating some sort of energy that other people are responding to. I think it's great. And that was not necessarily the case before you left? Do you think this is a, this is a new data? This is a, has it changed you? Uh, for sure. For sure. I think that um, I'm just more open to um, the idea that that I can have different experiences than I'd been having before. I think um, when you reach a point where you're feeling really stagnant, there's this sense that that's it. <laughs> like you're no, that that something has to change, but but nothing will. Um, and I had this really incredible jolt of an experience, and I got to go around the world and see that we're a lot more alike than we are different in all cultures across the world and that um, strangers can be really nice. You just have to sort of make sure you're talking to the right strangers and you can have a really great time. So yeah, I'm hoping it's, it's going to produce something in my everyday life that is totally different. You know, that's, this is a recurring theme that we found uh, just doing this podcast and talking to people that travel the world at the bot. And it's so heartening uh, and so reassuring to hear that the bottom line is that people are intrinsically good and that travel seems to confirm that. And even though, I mean, there are pitfalls and bad things that can happen, but on the whole, you know, people want to meet you and they want to be met by you. And that's a wonderful galvanizing realization. Yeah. I think that, I think that a lot of times you don't realize that, um, that 
this person, this street vendor who you met who was sort of making your day with their the great food that they're producing, I mean, you're a really exciting part of their day too. And they're really happy to meet you and help you. And um, people want you to have a walk away with a good impression of their plate of wherever they're from. I don't know that people, people care about other people. They're not and especially, I think it, it becomes more and more true for, for places that are less developed. And I think that's important to see. Well, this has been an amazing adventure. Uh, would you do it again? Oh, absolutely. The same way? Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, for me, um, the work aspect of this trip was as much as the logistical aspect of this trip. Mm -hmm. And at the beginning, I was... I think I was resentful of the writing because it was getting in the way of my like great world trip. <laughs> like I was having to, I was having to stay in hotel rooms when I really wanted to be running around Bogota, and um, it was it was really getting to me. And and I was writing for a publication with really high standards, and um, it you know it was it was just a lot of pressure, and it was hard to deal with. But um, as I got better that I started realizing, okay, so I can um, set aside particular days and just know that like that day is cut off. Like I will not be going out that day. A lot of times that day was landing in the place where I was going. It's like first day, I, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm not in this place. I just need to be getting things done. And I think that that was a really good way to go. Um, it helped with the acclimation. And eventually the writing became purposeful and I felt really grateful to it because it helped me remember these places in a way that I might not have um, had I just been going through them, especially the pace that I was going through them. So I'm actually really grateful to that. And I saw people all around the world who were doing the same thing. They were traveling, but they were blogging on their Facebook or um, creating newsletters for families and friends. And I, I think that that's a really good way to go because what you write about, you remember. Listen, uh, it was a pleasure reading uh, your pieces and uh, uh, look forward to more, whatever you do. Happy trails, Jada. All right, you too. All right. You too. I hope you take some solo trips yourself. I, you, I, I know you got the husband. Yeah, but. I know what I know, but I mean, I can lose him when necessary. <laughs> <laughs> take care. Take care. Bye now. Bye. So what have we learned from Jada? Well, when you're traveling alone, remember to do a little bit of research before you leave, obviously, but you want to know how to get from the airport to your lodging as seamlessly as possible. Downloading maps on your phone can really help. You also want to think ahead about your money management. A credit card with as high a limit as you can get and low fees is a must. And at the end of the day, that extra planning and any sense of fear that comes from traveling alone in an unfamiliar place is often outweighed by the freedom and the openness that traveling solo affords. That was Three Trips Ahead, brought to you by redtag.ca. Plan your perfect winter trip today at redtag.ca or call 1-866-5-RED-TAG. 
Thanks for listening. Subscribe for free and leave us a comment to let us know what you think. Three Trips Ahead is produced by Stephanie Phillips and presented by the Frequency Podcast Network. For updates on our show, you can visit FrequencyPodcastNetwork.com or follow at FrequencyPods on Twitter. Next week is our final episode of the season, and we're talking about gastro travel, which is actually something good and not, not an ailment or of some kind.